0: and he even stripped the gold from off the doors and the uh, walls of the temple. And he gave all the riches to the king of Assyria as a policy of appeasement. But that didn't work either, because wicked Sennacherib was so lustful and greedy that he would have it known that he must take all. And then they taunted the people and say, well, if you just surrender, we will bring you to a land of vines and plenty, prosperity, just as you have it here in Jerusalem. And so Hezekiah was further threatened, and he was in a deep and desperate situation. welcome again to let the bible speak this is pastor ian Gallagher. i trust that today the lord will use his word we're to preach on second kings 19. this is about kings hezekiah's confidence in his god and my friend this is the mark of faith and walking by faith not by sight and of course the bible tells us that just shall live by faith and when we put our confidence in god in the midst of times of trouble, then we prove that we are indeed trusting, leaning on the Lord and learning to hand it over to the way the Lord in which he will lead us. We have a message in song today by Al Smith, Only a Moment, and I assure you, we always enjoy the singing of Al Smith. Then we have our story today on obedience. This is a missionary story of how a missionary got through to the hearts of the people by himself obeying God's Word. And when they saw that example, that became the foundation for days of blessing in sowing the seed of the gospel. Yes, we need to obey the book, not just to be hearers only, but to be doers. And the Lord Jesus said that this is the person who builds his house on the rock those who hear only well they're just building on sand it's all temporary and when the storm comes then it will not stand but today i trust the lord will draw near bless his word and encourage you through this program that you might live more and more unto the lord back to second kings second kings and i read from chapter 19, but I'm going to take my text from chapter 18 and the verse 19. So I'll give you just a few seconds to find that. Second uh, Kings chapter 18 and the verse 19. These are the words of Rab Shaka. He is the message boy of King Sennacherib, the wicked Assyrian and these are words of mockery. They are words of scorn. And we read here in chapter 18, verse 19, at the end of the verse, this question, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? This Sunday, we are marking the milestone of our ministry here in Surrey. Our first church location was in North Surrey on Grosvenor Road. And then in 1992, we opened this church building here uh, for the preaching of the gospel. We have labored, we have prayed and preached the Word, and there have been times of triumph. And also, there have been times of trouble. And in times of trouble, we are driven to our knees. And it teaches us to pray, to call on God, and to depend upon him. This is exactly what happened to good King Hezekiah, the king of Judah, when he was threatened by this wicked king, Sennacherib, who was the most bloodthirsty and the most vicious king of Assyria, and they themselves were a cruel-minded people. Now, in chapter 18, verse uh, 9—and we're scanning a number of chapters here because it's it's quite an involved story—in the fourth year of King Hezekiah's reign, the heathen army of Sennacherib arrived and surrounded the city of Samaria. Now, Samaria was not the city over which King Hezekiah reigned. Samaria belonged to Israel. But we are told here how there was a three-year siege of that city. The armies of Sennacherib surrounded it and pretty much starved out the people until they surrendered. When they surrendered, they were shown no mercy, and they were carried off into exile. And next, we're told here in chapter 18, verse 3, Thirteen, ten years later, in the fourteenth year of Hezekiah's reign, that the armies of Sennacherib arrived at the gates of Jerusalem, and they came threatening good King Hezekiah. Now, the Samaritans, they had a policy of self-reliance, and it failed them. They trusted in their walls, they trusted in their own resources, but eventually they ran out. Here in the 14th year of Hezekiah, when he was threatened now by the same army of the same wicked king, Sennacherib, he tried the policy of compromise. And we're told in these verses, uh, if you look at verse 16, for example, uh, in chapter 18— How that to appease the king, he gave away all the silver of the city, and he even stripped the gold from off the doors and the uh, walls of the temple. And he gave all the riches to the king of Assyria as a policy of appeasement. But that didn't work either, because wicked Sennacherib was so lustful and greedy that he would have it known that he must take all. And then they taunted the people and said, Well, if you just surrender, we will bring you to a land of vines and plenty, prosperity, just as you have it here in Jerusalem. And so Hezekiah was further threatened, and he was in a deep and desperate situation. And we read here in chapter chapter 19, verse 14, the prayer that he offered unto God, and how he took the letter from the wicked king Sennacherib, he spread it out before the Lord, and he cried unto God in prayer. Now, I'd like us to read it together again, because we need to see the the prayer of Hezekiah and how he learned to call on the Lord in the day of trouble. Chapter 19, verse 14, And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. And in swift response, the prophet Isaiah was sent to say, God has heard your prayer, Hezekiah. And God was a witness to Sennacherib's reproach. If you look at verse 23, Uh, you will see, by thy messengers thou hast reproached the Lord. And God heard that reproach, that scorn, that mockery. They weren't only mocking Hezekiah, the man of God, but they were mocking Hezekiah's God. And the Lord in heaven heard that reproach. And then down in verse 28, uh, you'll notice uh, the word rage— And this is Sennacherib's rage against the God of heaven, because thy rage against me and thy tumult is come up into mine ears. Therefore, I will put my hook in thy nose. And so God decided to hear Hezekiah's prayer and to defend the city. And the long story in the short, in one night, God sent an angel, and the angel destroyed the army of Sennacherib. 185,000 Assyrian soldiers dead. And the strange statement you have toward the end of the chapter is that in the morning when they awoke, they were all dead corpses. Now, that's not when the Assyrians awoke. That's when the people of Judah awoke, and they gazed out to look at the army of Sennacherib, and they were all dead corpses. God heard the cry of the Lord. Now, in that account, you have three policies, the policy of self-reliance, the policy of compromise, and then there's the policy of trusting in the Lord. And I want to talk to you this morning about those three policies in our lives and in our times of need and trouble, because they are really the ways that we can respond. We can turn to rely on ourselves, or we can compromise and try and placate the enemy, or we can truly only trust in the Lord. So let's go to the first one, the policy of self-reliance. We're back in chapter 18 to look at this city of Samaria, who in the fourth year of Hezekiah's reign were invaded by Sennacherib and surrounded, and they endured a very long, hard, bitter three-year siege, and they were facing the cruelty of Sennacherib and the Syrian army. Now, to put things into place, the Assyrian army had the reputation in the Middle Eastern world at that time as Isis has today. None of us would imagine that if you fall into the hands of Isis that you're going to be shown any mercy. They are ruthless, cruel, bloodthirsty, and seeking to promote their own agenda. And so, Samaria— they shut the gates, they defied Sennacherib, and they resorted to rely on their own self-support. And for three years, they sought to eke out an existence in self-reliance. You can imagine how during that siege, they would have uh, restricted every little speck of food. They would have guaranteed that no one ate. Too much or drank too much. And as time went on, bodies would waste. Famine would be on the very faces and the eyes of the people until they were but living corpses behind those walls. And then the enemy came in when they were weakened and brought to nothing. We're told in chapter 18, verse 12, uh, that during that time… God was not with them. And there's a reason, because in chapter eighteen twelve, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and would not hear them nor do them. And so these Samaritans can be likened to people who once knew the Lord their God, who once trusted in the Lord but then turned away from him and have become either backsliders or have totally revolted against the truth. And so many people have done that in our nation even today. We lament in this land of Canada that the commandment of God's Word—we're talking now about the law of God given by Moses that has been taken out of schools— it is taken out of government uh, institutions, and there is an amorality that is leading to an immorality within this land, and God is defied. And people are are, are relying on self, and they are relying on human resources, which we know will fail. And in the day of trouble, they will have no hope and nowhere to turn. And that really is the picture of multitudes of people in our nation today. And we fear even in families that grew up in the church, that knew the Lord, have turned away from Him, and they think the day of trouble will never come. Maybe, perhaps, there's someone here today, and you are living that life. You're living the life of self- reliance. You're depending upon your own resources. You say, I can do it. And when I get to that stage where there's a crisis or an emergency, I can handle it. And I have every help that I need. But when the day of trouble comes, you will have no God, no Savior, no one to help your soul, no one to lead you through the valley, no one to stand against the enemy. That's the philosophy, the policy of self-reliance. And then in chapter 18, verse 13, we see the policy of appeasement. And we'll just read this section again in Second Kings 18, verse 13. Now, in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them, And Hezekiah king of Judah sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish, saying, I have offended. So here he is now wringing his hands, and he's offering an apology, and he's saying to this wicked king, Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, I am the offender. And he is saying, Return from me, and that which thou puttest on me I will bear. Any tribute, any rent money that you want me to pay, Any taxes you want me to pay, just put it on, and I will pay. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And so he got what he asked for. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. At that time, did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah king of Judah had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And so that was his policy of appeasement. He thought he could buy his way into some kind of at least temporary friendship with this wicked king and get by. Well, alas, it didn't work. It was a policy of absolute folly. The lust and the greed of King Sennacherib could not be assuaged by these things. He wanted all, and he wanted the city, he wanted the power, and he wanted the people to be in total service to him. And so his massive army now sat outside the gates of Jerusalem, waiting their opportunity to take the city. It didn't work. And we need to learn today that the policy of appeasement never works. And yet it is, in our human ingenuity, uh, the thing that we might adopt very, very quickly. There are those who surrender to the God of this world, just the worldly ideology, The philosophies of men and their human thinking, and we just go along with it, thinking that we can accomplish a good goal through compromise. And so many give up their principles, they give up their morals, and they sell even the truths of the gospel, and they water things down that they might get along with the spirit of the world. I want to counsel you today that the policy of appeasement never works. It never works in the workplace. You know of managers and bosses, and they try to sort of compromise and placate, and it's not good leadership. It only creates offense and creates problems, and it comes back to haunt them down the road. Compromise and appeasement doesn't work in the home either. Homes must be built on good morals. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. Truth is truth. An error is error. And in our homes, we cannot have the policy of appeasement. The same is true in marriages. You can't hold a marriage together by a policy of compromise. Now, we know that in every marriage there's give and take. You can't have your own way all of the time. You have to be willing to go the second mile. And if you're not willing to put more than 50 percent into your marriage, maybe you shouldn't even be married. And so we're not talking about that uh, willingness and readiness to please uh, your wife or your husband. But when it's built on compromise, and a spirit of appeasement to truth and righteousness, and those things that are absolute. You can't sell your soul because you want to please your spouse. Now, they don't work in the church either, and unfortunately, some people try to build mega churches on the basis of appeasement and try and placate every notion and every way of thinking. It doesn't work. And they don't work for your soul. If you think that you can be saved by adopting the thinking of the world, a Christianity that goes hand in hand with worldliness, it will not work. It's not the gospel. It will not save your soul. I advocate that you follow the better way, the way that Hezekiah finally adopted the policy of trusting in the Lord. When my
1: life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, when the bright and glorious morning I shall see, i shall know my redeemer when i reach the other side and his smile will be the first to welcome me i shall know him i shall know him and redeem by His side I shall stand I shall know Him I shall know Him By the print of the nails in His hand Oh, the soul-thrilling rapture When I view his blessed face And the luster of his kindly beaming eye How my full heart will praise him For the mercy, love, and grace That prepare for me a mansion in the sky I shall know I shall know him and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand.
0: You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and I trust that the Lord's Word has been a word for your own heart today. On the issue of obedience, here is a message from the mission field by a man called Ben Byer, and this was a story told in the magazine known as Gospel Herald. Give to him that asketh. At Banza Matiki a mission station of the Livingstone Inland Mission, Reverend Henry Richards had a very unusual experience. Never again did he question the truthfulness of Bible statements. In his efforts to preach the gospel to the natives about him, he decided to start with the gospel of Luke. Each day he would translate 10 or 12 verses and then expound them to his congregation, asking God to bless his efforts. When he came to the 6th chapter of Luke and the 30th verse, a great difficulty appeared. He was confronted with the words, Give to every man that asketh of thee. He decided it would never do to read this to the people, for notorious beggars that they were, they would ask for everything he possessed. He turned back to the first chapter and started over, to have more time to think what to do. The more he thought about the verse, the more he was convinced it meant just what it said. So when he came to it again, he read it to the people and told them what he thought it meant. At once the natives began asking for his things. Without hesitation, he gave what they asked. Soon most of the things he had were in the hands of natives. Then they talked among themselves and decided that this must be God's man. For never had they seen a man do things like this, and never refuse a request. Then they started to return the things until all had been restored. It was this obedience to God's word that started the revival among them, which soon banished heathenism. Oh, what a message! And I trust that the generosity of God's people will become our testimony. These Christians obey the book. They love the Lord more than they love things. This is indeed a great witness before an unbelieving world. Try it today. Give something in Jesus' name, even a cup of cold water, and you will in no wise lose your reward.